What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. And joining us today is, for the second time, is Kevin Parker, the author and founder of True Warrior Success, who specializes in helping young men overcome their struggles with addiction. He strives to empower his clients and instill in them new passion and purpose to combat addiction and complacency. Kevin himself struggled with addiction and learned many valuable lessons from his experiences. When we first had Kevin on the podcast, he shared his near-death experience story of losing a leg to his addiction, but he uses that wisdom to provide accountability and encouragement today for those who want to stay fully recovered from their addictions. In this episode, we're going to hear all of his invaluable tips, information, and anecdotes to spread his overwhelmingly positive message, author of Winning Against All Odds, Discovering the True Warrior Within, Kevin Parker. Welcome back to The Brendan Burns Show. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be on the show. It's an honor. I always love when I get to have a conversation with you and uh, connect with an audience that I'm just really, really excited about today. Absolutely. Now, I want to make this a, a, a round two episode, but I also want to um, be respectful to people who are hearing you for the first time. So if you could give a shortened version, you know, maybe the one to two minute version of your addiction, um, what happened to you in the hospital, obviously and how you were saved and how you're here today. No problem. See, growing up, I dealt with all kinds of issues. I felt like I was never enough. Didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. I didn't feel loved. So I chose drugs and my life fell apart limb for limb, literally. I lost everything. I ended up homeless. I ended up overdosing, ending up in a coma for three weeks. I had multi-organ failure, 108 fever, from this ordeal, I winded up losing my leg, having irreversible nerve damage throughout my body. But I had a second chance at life and I ran with it. I took my biggest weaknesses and turned them into my biggest strengths, turned my mess into my message and dedicated my entire life to help people break free from the chains of addiction. I'm here today to make the biggest impact I can to save lives and help people not go through the things that I went through and make the same mistakes. It's incredible, Kevin. I, I so appreciate you sharing that vulnerably. And what I want to acknowledge you for, and maybe you could talk about for a minute, is how you turned your mess into your message, how you turned what happened to you into a positive. Like when I first met you, I was a little nervous to ask you what had happened. I, I saw your prosthetic leg and you put your arm around me. You said, Brendan, this thing's my best asset. Not only can I help people, but I'll, I'll pop this leg off. I'll put ice in it. I'll put a champagne bottle in there with my girlfriend. And I just love how you've um, been had the, such the right mindset through your um, overcoming this. And I'm curious what you could, if you could say a little bit more about that. Um, when someone has something bad happen to them, how you've maintained this, you've turned this into your mission, and you're going to help so many people, and you have the best attitude of anyone I've seen. 
If you talk a little bit about that, obviously the champagne, that's such a funny anecdote, but just in general, how that symbolizes your, your approach to this whole life experience. Thank you very much for that uh, introduction. Uh, I believe identity is one of the most powerful things in this whole universe. The words I am, even in the Bible, it's the strongest thing that you could say. Anything you say after that, you become. I didn't want to be a disabled, crippled, one-legged, weak, half the person I kind of was man. I decided to be a one-legged warrior. And you could too. Everybody has that thing in their life that they think that holds them back. And they're insecure about it. And they're not sure how to handle it. I'm here to tell you to own it. There's nothing more attractive, powerful, magnetic than confidence, than being comfortable in your own skin. Everybody has something that they don't like. So what? Find a way to utilize it, to leverage it, to make it your X factor so you stand out. You don't want to be like everybody else. You want to be the best version of you that you can be. And that's what I did. I was dealt a, uh, a hand of cards that I had to own. I had to play them. I lost my leg. So I decided to become my identity. I used it to overcome as a, as a, as a symbol of all the things that I overcome, the, over, the adversity, the things that I really struggled with. I know that if I could have got through that, I could get through anything. So I don't see it as a weakness. I see it as a power. Everything that you overcome makes you grow and makes you stronger. You either win or you learn. There's no failure until you quit. And I will never quit at life. No matter what my circumstances are, I am always going to make the best out of it. And that's exactly what you should do. You either win or you learn. That's so huge. I could have used that during this week because I'm growing my business and working on these stressful things like that. That's such a great perspective. Um, I want to talk about addiction today because I think it continues to be on the rise and a problem in our country, especially when someone reaches out to you and says, Kevin, you're the addiction expert. You're the winning us all odds guy. I have this addiction. Maybe it's cocaine and Adderall. Maybe it's um, alcoholism. Maybe it's porn or sex. Where do you start with someone when they, they call you up? They, let's say they hire you. Here's my money. Okay. First session. I have this addiction. It's debilitating. It's crippling. Where do you go with them on step one, day one? Well, first thing is I really like to connect with people because when I coach or when I help somebody, it's client driven. It's about you. It's not about me. No matter how good of a coach I am, nothing happens unless you do your part. So I truly try to connect with them. And the first question I ask is, how can I help you? What are you struggling with? What is the problem that you're dealing with today? And typically with addiction, it's they had a root problem that they were dealing with and drugs was their terrible solution that they came up with. And inadvertently, it became a bigger problem. So what I try to do is I try to remove the drug problem and then deal with that root problem. Because if you could solve that, then there's no need to drugs. The fact of the matter is truly happy people don't do drugs. And another thing is everybody's an addict. And yeah. I say that very confidently because we are all addicts of pleasure. 
just because your favorite flavor of pleasure is different than mine doesn't make you less of an addict. It well, some, yeah. yeah, some people, um, their, their addictions are more socially acceptable. Yes. But it's like if you're a big boozer and you smoke weed and you play fantasy football and you're on social media all day and you're hooking up with women left, right, you got all the dating apps, it, like, oh, okay, that, that guy is like cool and normal versus like you're in the back, like taking pills and doing coke or whatever. So I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. We're, our, our minds are, are wired to obtain pleasure and avoid pain. And whatever creates pleasure in your life, you try to get. Uh, addicts just seem to find more pleasure in drugs. Unfortunately, it's a very fleeting pleasure and a very damaging pleasure. Yeah. So that's, yeah, when you say there's a root problem, someone said to me once, um, addiction is an illegitimate solution to a legitimate problem. Mm. So how do you go about that root problem? Because for some people, like, you know, if you're coaching them, it could take how many sessions for them to even admit that. Like, and if someone's listening today and they're like, oh, I don't even know what my root problem is, or I kind of do, but what do I do with that? Where do you go? How do you really discover what that root problem is? And how do you start to take steps to dealing with that problem so you don't need the drugs or the alcohol or whatever it is? Well, you kind of hit it on the nose because some people are just not comfortable to approach those subjects. Uh, I try to get people very comfortable. I mean, I'll take my leg off and put it on the table. You're like, listen, anything that you're dealing with, I can help you overcome. But we got to work on this together. We're a team. You know, uh, some things are more difficult than others. But there's always a way to figure out how to fix that solution. If you can't find the solution, you're asking the wrong pro uh, question. And that's really what it is. Sometimes it may happen in the first or second session. Sometimes it may take 10 sessions. But if you don't give up and you keep on digging, you're going to find it. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, when you say everybody is an addict, um, how did you come to that? Like, when did you realize that? Because I remember when I was listening to a talk and I realized, okay, I'm not alone. It also helped me kind of take ownership for my compulsive behaviors because I didn't feel like I was the only one. But at what point in your recovery or transformation did you start to notice that? Well, I, I went to college and I, I originally I wanted to be a doctor. So I did a lot of science classes and I learned about the brain, the dopamine, serotonin pathways and all of this. And I understand that's how all of us find pleasure. And the problem with drugs is they flood our, our brain with synthetic dopamine and serotonin. And then when you take that away, they, they're unhappy and they're not making it anymore. So really that's all, all components of happiness comes from chemicals in our brain. And drugs is a big component on a lot, how a lot of people get them. Okay. So that's like so huge for anyone listening, what you just said about the brain, because people think that our external circumstances or, and other people are responsible for our happiness. <laughs> like, okay, this business deal happening, my boss doing this, my girlfriend doing this. <clears throat> but like you said, our level of happiness is the result of our emotions and the chemicals moving through our brain. And so if I'm hearing you right, we manipulate that emotions and those feelings using drugs or any addictive behaviors. But then what you have is instead of having like the steady buzz, it's like you go from, you go to the high, high and then the low, low crash. Yeah. See all our bodies have homeostatic functions. So if we start flooding it with uh, dopamine and serotonin that it did not create, and it spikes up that high, 
it starts to give up making it and creating it naturally. So yeah. when you don't have that drug, you, you go to a major low and your body isn't making it anymore because like, oh, I guess they're taking care of it right now. So I don't need to do my job anymore. And the longer you do that, the less your brain wants to produce those chemicals. And even after you quit doing drugs for months on end after that, they still take a long time to build up those processes to create those chemicals. Now, there are some supplements that I'm aware of that help with the amino acids and help with those pathways uh, <clears throat> that I usually work with with my clients, but still that speeds up the process. But that's the problem. You, you're burning out the natural machines that make you happy. Yeah. The other thing is our body can, we can take actions to facilitate increased serotonin production in our brain, doing things like going out to the gym, going for walks, being connected with other humans. So I'm curious, like to hear more about when you work with someone who has an addiction, it sounds like step one is you're really compassionate. You're really there with them connected, trying to understand the root problem. But like, I know you've also lived with people who've had addiction. So what does that longer time frame living with someone look like? What are you doing with them? And how, how does that look? My job is to learn my client in and out because coaching is a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual approach. It's fully customizable for exactly what the person needs to bring them to exactly where they want to go. So what I really need to do is learn what they're going through. First thing I do is I get them to go to the gym. Like you said, working out is a fantastic way to create serotonin, endorphins, and all these different things. And it gets your blood circulating, gets your oxygen in your brain, your muscles, and motion creates emotion. If you're sitting lethargic in your house and you're doing nothing, you're going to be depressed. You're going to feel defeated. If you get up and say yes, and you, and you jump up out of your seat and you take some action, you'll be more proactive, especially when you give them accountability and you really say, listen, I got you. I'm here. I'm going to help you, but you got to take these actions. And the first thing is exercise and eating right because it garbage in garbage out if you're going to eat junk you're going to feel like a junkie and that's just the bottom line once you get your body feeling right then you start working on the deeper aspects of mental and emotional and even spiritual yeah talk more about the gym because that's something that is kind of like an obvious aha but it needs to be emphasized even more what does that look like for your clients? And especially if they're like, feel like they're too busy or they don't know what to do, you know, how do you, what does that look like? So gym is the best, one of the best addictions you can have because there's so many benefits to it. In fact, most of my clients, I switched them from taking heroin or cocaine to go into the gym four or five times a week. And now you don't necessarily have to go to the gym to exercise. Exercise can be a walk around the block or some push-ups and sit-ups in your house, or playing handball or basketball. It's all about action. It's all about being active. It's about having fun. It's about switching it up. And it really fulfills all the human needs that you need. It really is a fantastic thing. Yeah. Do you know the rat study with the, um, the cocaine-laced water? Yeah, how the first group of rats, they, they had water or cocaine-laced water, and they all drank the little Coke, obviously. But then the, they created like a rat park with a lot of things they could do. And a lot of, they put a lot more rats in there. And so there's a lot of connection with the others and they all just drank the regular water. Yeah. And especially during the times like now, or, I mean, hopefully we're coming out of this COVID stuff, but 
how isolating it was. Um, I love the quote, uh, the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm. And I'm curious your thoughts on building community and being able to, like, I feel like serotonin's going in my brain, all good stuff when I'm hanging out with people and I can listen to them and they, I feel heard and connected with others. Yeah, uh, this isolation and this uh, seclusion that just happened for the last year was one of the worst things that can happen to society. I mean, my business tripled only because so many people were suffering. Yeah, Even myself, I even got into a little depressive state because I live by myself and I deal with helping other people with their problems. But I was starting to develop my own problems by being by myself all the time. And you're absolutely right. The opposite of addiction is connection. I love that. I'm definitely going to be using that myself. Uh, <laughs> hey, I need royalties on that. <laughs> I actually heard it um, from Matt Dobshu, who hosts Porn Free Radio, good friend of mine. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Connecting is, is, is an amazing thing. It really, truly helps you because all the bad things happen when you're by yourself in the dark. When you shed light on it, that's when you can get the help. That's when you can really work on those things but if you're in the dark nobody knows and you're by yourself that's when those bad thoughts start going into your brain you start making some bad decisions and there's nobody to check you there's nobody to make you feel good and whether you're in a good place or a bad place momentum is powerful if you're stuck by yourself that momentum of those thoughts or those bad thoughts brewing in your head get worse and worse and worse and worse until you answer them but if you're around good people and you're talking about good things then that momentum goes in the right direction. And it propels you further away from addiction, far away from depression, far away from anxiety, and into an even better place. Yeah. So you start with the empathy, the connection, um, finding the root problem, getting them to the gym, getting them eating healthy. Is that enough to get people off their addiction? Or is there anything else you do? And then I'm also curious how to maintain sobriety. Well, it is a very complicated question because everybody has something. See, true happiness is about balance. And some people have certain areas of their life that they're doing well and other areas that they need improvement. And I need to assess the situation and see where they're lacking, what brings them real happiness, double down on the good things that make them happy, that they're good at, that set them on fire, and either delegate or delete the toxic things, the bad things, the things that are making them to do the wrong things. And it really just comes down to that. You want to, you want to create a life that you love to live. Cause if you, if you're, if you're surrounding yourself with things you enjoy, things that you're good at, things that you're contributing to society, connecting with people, you're living a good life and all the bad things that you don't want to do, cut them out, find a way to replace them or delegate them. If you can really, my job is to help choreograph and orchestrate a life and design something that they truly enjoy. Yeah. The addiction is really, it's so little about the drug and it's mm. so much about everything else that <laughs> gets them there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all about the lifestyle. I mean, if you're hanging out with drug addicts, you're going to do drugs. Uh, my friend always says, he always loves that. Uh, you know, if you hang out in a, in a barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just the bottom line. If you're hanging out with people that are success and millionaires and happy and excited, it's going to rub off because we're social creatures as humans. We adapt to our environments. We become our surroundings. And you want to surround yourself with the things you want to become. 
I, this is kind of bad because I, I want to be able to hang out with everyone. But for the past year, I've like, I've only really hung out with married men. Like I just, I, and I obviously I have single friends and I, I, I try to like invite them to group stuff and hang out with them. But I, I put a huge intentional focus on, I'm, I'm really not only just married, but like men who are married and walking in a healthy marriage, really loving their wives, have children, have families. And um, yeah, now my girlfriend is like, hey, Brendan, I want to be married by the end of the year. And I'm like, we're not even engaged. <laughs> it's just funny how, um, how a bunch of that works. Like, yes. we, and that was part of why I wanted to move out of New York. And not that you can't have that in New York, but I was like in the heart of Manhattan. And I wanted something more suburban, which I now have in San Diego. And it's like part of why I chose my house is because I saw uh, the husband and wife and she's got this big pregnant belly. And I was like, this is, <laughs> that's this great. Is, I'm not going to get pregnant, but my future wife will. And <laughs> it's so it's so spot on, Kevin, like the who you surround yourself with. So how does someone who's like, like, if you said that to someone, like, no, but I love these guys. These are my friends my whole life. Or. Uh, you know, I can not act out and they can, or I, you know, I, I don't know who else to hang out with. Like, I'm just supposed to not have any friends anymore. Like, what would you say to that? Listen, you can love somebody, but you can also love somebody from afar. I have ex-girlfriends. I have people that were in my lives that I truly love to this day, but I don't talk to them. I love them from far. If I think about them, I'll send them some love. Uh, but they will pull you down before you bring them up. There's no reason to have temptations in your life that are going to destroy you. And if they truly care about you, they would never put you in that situation. If they cared about your well-being, they wouldn't put you in a situation where they were doing drugs in front of you. They wouldn't try to drag you out to the bar if you were an alcoholic. They are just being codependent. They're trying to get what they can from you. And it's not necessarily genuinely for your best interests. So try to put some distance between them. And let me tell you, you, when you, when you become sober and you break away from the people that are not serving you in the best possible interest, you will attract people in your life that are good for you. You're a living example, Brennan. You just said you started hanging out with uh, married men and all of a sudden your, your, your girlfriend is talking about wanting to be married by the end of the year. I mean, that's fantastic. It just works like that. It's just, that's the way that it is. If, you, if you're going to hang out with people that hang out in the streets, you're going to live in the streets. Find yeah. people that you want to become. Go, go search Google and find people that you want to aspire to become and find a way to become value to them. You know, offer them your services. Just give. Be a giving person. Try to add value everywhere you go and you will be attractive to every single person you meet and then you'll get to decide who you want to be around. So good. I, I remember even moving out here, I started spending a lot of time with men who not only don't use pornography, but hate pornography. Mm, like same. hate it. They just, they, they think it's the most evil, toxic, abusive to the people in it, abusive to the people who use it, drug. And I remember thinking, you know, before I'd moved out here, I was like, wow, I have such a good handle on porn. Like I barely look at it. It's such a small part of my life, which in part was not true. I was using more than I admitted. But I just, you start hanging out with these guys and it's like, it's now, it's not even in my vocabulary. I don't even count the days anymore. I don't think about it. I, I haven't used it in months and months and months. And it's like all because I was just hanging out with these, these types of people. It's the quality of people 
like the level of sobriety in your friend group will reflect onto you. Because I remember even reading your book when you're talking winning us all odds, like all your friends and then people who exposed you and that the guy that um, you were able to get in his house to get the drugs, like as all because that's what was in your network. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, pornography is one of the most destructive things on this planet. Yeah. I didn't even know that I was addicted to pornography and I was addicted to it for 15 years at the time. Didn't even know. I didn't realize how dependent on I was, how it distorted my relationships, how it killed my confidence, my energy. I mean, I remember doing cocaine and porn and watching pornography all night and then waking up completely drained and not being able to do anything. And it really, really destroys, takes away your memory, uh, makes your mind all foggy, takes away your drive. I mean, you name it, it destroys and nobody realizes it. And as a recovery coach, I can see there are so many people addicted to pornography. It's one of the highest rates of addiction that I have with my clients and they don't even know and they can't stop because it's in their phone and everything in society is hypersexualized. So they get triggered so easily and it's so accessible. When I was a young kid, you couldn't just pull your phone out or your computer. You had to go on a mission. You know, now, now it's, it's in two seconds, you can have anything that you want and it becomes more vulgar and more intense. And it really destroys the intimacy that you have in your relationships and how you view women and men. And it's just a really, really terrible, destructive addiction. Yeah. And it's socially acceptable. People mm-hmm. joke about it and talk about it and TV shows reference it in society today. Like, like I think I was saying earlier with some of these socially acceptable drugs, especially pornography being so free and accessible to everyone. Like you said, in the old days, it was like you had to go to a store or buy something. And yeah, it's just um, hopefully more people speaking openly will help. But yeah, just my recovery from porn was so like, I have this quote, uh, it says the weight of expectation from a community from someone other than yourself does amazing things for our drive and our standards. And I think being in a relationship with a woman who said, oh, this is absolutely a deal breaker. Like I'm totally not okay with that at all. I consider it cheating. Was, was great. Um, going, being in groups, whether it's, uh, you know, meetups or uh, 12 steps or, you know, church group or whatever. I think these are all like critical to recovery. So I'm curious, like, again, just going back to this kind of walking example of you working with someone, do you run a group yourself or like, how, do you encourage groups? And if so, like, how would you find one? Uh, I'm a big advocate of AA groups and all those 12 step programs. I actually go myself to a men's group on Tuesdays and Saturdays, um, even being sober for 10 years, clean for 10 years. And um, I really highly recommend that that community because when you're feeling weak, it's good to have somebody to encourage you to talk about it. Because like we said earlier, uh, things in the dark fester. And when you put it out in the light, it can be it can be dealt with. So when you have a whole community that has the same like-minded, that are doing the same things, that can support you and understand where you're coming from, it's absolutely huge. Me, I don't have a group. I used to have a group, a live group. We are Recovery Warriors. Before the pandemic, that kind of shut everything down. Uh, I do have a Facebook group that I'm doing. And uh, and I also have a Telegram um, phone line that we have as a support system for anybody that's struggling. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. I, I've just found like, 
I think Matt Matt said this to me. Matt Dobshoots, porn free radio friend of mine. He said, once you hit 90 days, start helping someone else. Because then when you're in that moment of maybe I'm gonna act out, you're like, Well, how can I help that person if I'm over here doing this? And mm-hmm. I've just found like the group setting and the involvement of other people in my recovery to be so powerful because I don't want to have to go back to them, every single one of them and go, you know, hit the reset button and go tell them what happened. And there's nothing wrong with that. Cause I've relapsed so many times in my recovery. <laughs> Obviously I think that's normal. Part of it. It's a part yeah, of recovery. <laughs> part of the process, but yeah, just now like, you know, having sobriety and having, uh, what would you call it? Accountability? Yes. Accountability is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, tell, tell us about the book. Um, uh, you know, writing a book is no easy feat. Uh, what's in, what's it about and talk about. It. So I was inspired by my dying stepmother. She told me on her deathbed when right after I got out of the hospital, she took care of me. She died of cancer, but she said, Kevin, promise me you're going to write a book that's going to change the lives of so many people. And when she said that, I was like, yeah, sure, dad, but no problem. I was kind of kidding. I was like, there's no way that I'm going to write a book, but it just kept that voice was in my head for years and years and years. And I just started writing. And you know what? Everything just flew out. Perfect. Uh, the vision of what I wanted to express, the message just came out. And it was just an incredible experience. Uh, I got a bunch of help to really formulate it to make it perfect. It took me about two years to write. I put a lot of effort into it. And it really is a step-by-step on how anybody can fall into addiction. Uh, having a second chance at life was, was what I really struggled with. See, back in the day, I struggled with bullying and not feeling like enough. And I, and I chose addiction. And in the beginning, it always seems great. It seems like the coolest thing. But slowly but surely, before you even know it, it takes everything from you. You become a completely different person. Yeah. I got to the point where I ended up in a coma. I didn't know what I was doing. And I had to fight for my life for four months. I had to create a new identity because when I got out, all I knew was addiction. Everybody in my f- whole life disappeared. They were gone. I had to figure out a new purpose and a passion. And I realized how difficult it is after recovering from such a traumatic addiction. I wanted to dedicate my life to showing people how to do it. Now I've read over 200, I think almost 250 self-help books over the last 10 years. I read a lot of books, listen to a lot of books as well, but I took the book and I implemented throughout the book, certain lessons I've learned from all the different things that I've read. So it's a semi self-help, semi autobiography, and it's really to let everybody understand the depths of addiction so they can see it from all different perspectives. In fact, I had my mother, my father, and even my antagonist stepbrother have a chapter in the book. So I had different perspectives. So anybody can read it. There's something in this book for everyone. You don't even have to be struggling with addiction. You might have to be struggling with something that's been bothering you your whole life and it's been holding you back insecurities depression anxiety it's a book about overcoming winning against all odds and literally discovering the true warrior within i didn't know how powerful i was until i was tested until i had to go through the trials and tribulations and now i know that i am a one-legged warrior 
and I could do absolutely anything. And I want to show everybody else how to do the same. Yeah. In your book, you write, after a couple of months on Percocet, I started to lose any remaining focus I had for my studies. Even though I was taking painkillers, I still felt like I was in pain all the time. That's what opioid drugs do to you. They numb you. But when you're not taking them, you feel in worse pain than before because your natural pain tolerance has been diminished. As soon as the dose wears off and the real pain kicks in, your body will actually start experiencing additional sources of pain that have no physical basis. I felt like my body was breaking in half. And I mean, I, I, I've talked openly about my sex, sexting, porn addiction on this show. And I, I just felt the exact same way. Mm. And it's just like, to me, like you said, the, the recovery journey is I think a journey everyone needs to go on. You know? Yeah, you really figure out who you are uh, when you overcome something that really took over you. Mm -hmm. And you have to re-identify who you truly are at the core, what you're about, what's your essence, what's your purpose, why are you here? It was a beautiful yet grueling journey, but I am so blessed and so grateful. It is the best thing that ever happened to me losing my leg. It is the best thing that ever happened to me fighting for my life for four months because it revealed who I am inside and what my true potential was and what I'm here for. And I wouldn't trade one second, anything else. Yeah. I mean, look at, let's say you didn't have um, the addiction that you had and you were just kind of like had something that was more manageable, you know, what do they say? The functioning, functioning addict, right? Yeah. You went on this real journey. You'd, what would you be doing? You'd be in Staten Island doing construction or managing some office and, you know, versus I'm, I'm holding your book right now and, and doing what you <laughs> love, what you're supposed to do in life. And so it's like this painful, for some people, multi-year, for me, it was a multi-year, painful, intense process. I like, I think it was the hardest thing I ever had to do was getting sober. Man. Well, when you go through something hard, it makes it that much more sweeter when you yeah. accomplish it. Yeah. Yeah. This is amazing. Uh, what did you learn about yourself when you wrote the book? Whew. I really learned how to become vulnerable. I really learned how deep my heart goes, how, how intense life really got. And, uh, and I really learned what I was made of because for the longest time, I never felt like enough. I never felt comfortable in my own skin. And I didn't really love myself at all. But after writing the book and seeing it play out play by play and how it unfolded, I now love myself again. I forgave myself because I see how it happened. I understand how it happened and it's okay. But it really, really made me love myself again. There's nothing like forgiving yourself. Yeah. Amazing. That's kind of at the root of addiction, right? Like shame. Yeah. I mean, it boils down to three things. You don't feel like enough. You don't feel enough. Or you don't feel loved and you don't feel comfortable in your own skin. Any kind of derivative of those three. I mean, they could branch you off into a million different things, but it kind of boils down to that. Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, it's, it's like worth just saying over and over again, the, you know, we're born and then we have these people and these life experiences and people sometimes tell us that we're bad. And other times 
we don't get what we need. And so we assume that there's something wrong with us. Mm. That core shame, that core feeling of not being enough. I mean, do you think that's at the root of every addiction or was that for some people and, you know, with other people that you're working with, it's, it's like just so much pain from like a divorce or, you know, something else. Yeah. I mean, it, it can come from, but if you even break any of those things down, like you ever do the seven levels of why, mm-hmm. if you break all those things down, they break down to, I don't feel loved. If you go into a divorce, you don't, you know, it's it, the root of it is you don't feel loved. You just went through a divorce with somebody that you had, you wouldn't spend the rest of your life with and you don't feel loved. Either they cheated or it didn't work out or they didn't work hard enough or you didn't work hard enough, you know, or you didn't feel like enough or you didn't feel comfortable in your own skin. I really feel that they, they branch down to that in some kind of essence, whatever the situation is. Um, it can be, it can be sadness and unhappiness. Um, it can be certain things like that, but I, I find that it usually breaks down to something in that field. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So my sobriety was largely done working one-on-one with George Collins, who's a mm. addiction coach in California. Yes. And I paid him a lot of money to hop on the phone with me and just tell me I'm good enough over and over again until I finally believed him. Yeah. And it took, it took years. Yeah. But now and, I do. And what did that feel like? You, you never felt good enough, right? That it broke down to that route for you, right? Yeah. Like my biggest things were, I mean, I'm not enough and, yeah. um, and things aren't going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, we're getting on time here. What, uh, what would you say to people who are, are listening to you and they're like, yeah, I, I'm just, Kevin, I've tried all these things though. You know, I'm still, I'm still acting out. What, you know, what would you say to those people? The fact is you, you haven't tried everything. You haven't tried me. You haven't tried this. There's, there's a, there's a, uh, program or treatment for everybody. See people go to 10 rehabs. The fact of the matter is you didn't hire the right interventionist to find the right rehab. You have to match the program for the person. See, there's AA, there's SMART, there's harm reduction. There's all kinds of different recovery programs that work for other people. There's no one road to recovery. That's where people trip up. You need to find the right match. You need to find the right group. You need to find the right groove. And you also need to find a strong enough reason why. That's why most people hit rock bottom before they get clean. Because it ha- that's their reason why. They don't want to ever feel that again. But if you have a coach that knows what they're doing, or you have a sponsor, or you have a group that really cares about you and figures out what to do with you, you will become sober. But you got to make that decision yourself. It's not going to be handed to you on a silver platter. You need to put work in. You need to commit. You need people that are going to keep you accountable. You can't do it by yourself. And you got to understand it's, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. You need somebody encouraging you every day. You need to change your life. Like I said, that's why I love or as a recovery coach, because it's the only thing that's a multifaceted, customizable approach. It's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, anything. And it's uh, tailor cut for your needs. You can't just take a cookie cutter and, and solve the problem. There's no magic wand. You have to break down each and every single problem, address them, figure out what works for you, fail and try again, you know, a process of uh, um, failure, uh, success and failure, and see what works. And when it works, follow through with it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I love what you said about can't do it alone. 
That's such an important part of this process is just even having one person to help you. One person who knows you don't have to go put on your Facebook and Instagram. I'm a drug addict or I'm doing this. Like, but yeah, if you leave it in the dark, it just grows. Yeah. I love that. I was, I was going to say one other, yeah, you can't do it alone. And the other thing I was going to say is I'm curious if you agree with this, but even in my own sobriety and my own recovery, there were so many times where I was so close to putting it all to bed. I mean, it's, it's done now, but like, I don't know, a year or two years ago where I was so much closer to being sober than I thought I was. And I would get so frustrated and maybe impatient is the right word or not being, not persevering enough or just not believing and having enough hope. But I was like, I was right there. I was just like, I had done 95% of my work, you know? And I just, I I didn't realize how close I was. Yeah. And I'm curious if you, do you ever see that with people where they're like, they're almost done, but then they just, they, you know, they relapse and then they want to like think that they're, you know, just as, as bad as when they first started this journey, like years ago. I think that there's there's an ongoing, it's not a joke, but it happens a lot in AA com, uh, communities. People celebrate their one year victory of sobriety and then they'll go out and party for it and they'll yeah. go get high for their one year sobriety. Like that's the way it is. Uh, you are always closer than you think you are. And, but you are also just as close to relapsing at any point. You know, yeah. you can't, you got to stay humble. You can't be like, I'm the man. I could do it once. Nobody's going to find out. Or, you know, you can't talk yourself into it. You just got to know you can't do it. And I've known so many people that were so close to being completely sober and they blew it with one simple, one simple decision. They didn't reach out to that right person. They made that one silly move. They went to that party that they knew they shouldn't have went to, but they went there to test themselves because they're like, oh, I'm clean six months. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to hang out. I could see them doing cocaine. It's not going to bother me. (laughs) You know, what's the best thing that can happen? You don't do cocaine. That's what you've been doing for the last six months. The worst thing that can happen is you can go on a six month bender. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's tempting themselves, putting yourself in the wrong positions, hanging out with the wrong people and just not staying humble. I like that. I needed to even hear that because I'm sober, but you don't want to get cocky. No. You just Don't said it a little bit. You're like, I'm done. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Behind, you know, kick your legs. So you're sober, but like, that's why, <laughs> I mean, I still go, I would go to recovery meetings every Tuesday night. Nice. And I'm going to for the rest of my life um, as a leader of the group when mm. I went appropriate, mm. because yeah. like I, someone said to me once, you know, maybe you don't need to be there. I mean, you do, but he was like playing. Okay. He said, maybe you don't need to be there, but maybe someone else needs you to be there. Mm. and that's that's really important that keeps us sober helping other people that helps those people too and then someone said to me recently and i'm curious what you i didn't like this but you know we were talking about um i'm kind of in like monk mode right now so not only do i not look at pornography but i haven't masturbated in a long time and i've eliminated eliminated that from my life um which is something physically i didn't even know was possible but (laughs) i'm doing it now and nice uh, the universe is sending me a, a wife and it's like, Hey, there's a n- new approach. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but like that, uh, someone said to me, I was like, yeah, you know, it's is amazing. I feel so good about myself. I've all this new energy. Um, and they were like, yeah, you know, and it's okay if you slip up every now and then, but 
And I was like, no, 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 I don't even want to try it once because like that's addiction, you know? Yeah. That's the devil talking right there. Yeah, know. right. I, that's yeah. why I was like, I love that guy, but I did not like when he said that. <laughs> Listen, and after the fact, it's okay to forgive yourself. But don't give yourself the excuse it's okay to do it once in a while, slip by. It's not. It's not. But it's okay. If you go past that point and you did it, you don't want to beat your head, head against the wall and punish yourself because that's how you go into a bender and you go into like, a, oh, I just, I ruined it all. I'm just giving up. I'm, I'm doing it now. And that's what a lot of people do. They slip up once and they think they failed forever and they give up. Yeah. The, that statement only works for somebody that just did it. Who's like, listen, man, it, it's okay. It's good. Relapse are going to happen. Just get back up, get back on the horse and do it again, man. You know, yeah. just cause you had one slip up, didn't mess up the year that you didn't do it at all. Yeah, exactly. Don't, I mean, don't yeah, let it mess it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I used to probably look at porn every, every other day, at least. Yeah. And then, you know, you do a year sober and then you relapse. It's like, okay, well, I looked at porn once in the past year instead of 200 times. So like, <laughs> let's try to be a little kind to ourselves on that experience. Yes. Too, right? I agree with that. Yes. Yeah. But no, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. It is the devil's talking <laughs> or opening up a you know, little, yeah. little room for him to come in. Yeah. Um, Kevin, I'll, I'm happy to read out where people can get in touch with you, but I'll give you the opportunity to do that first. And I just want to also thank you for your time today. Thank you for coming on last time. Um, you can you guys can see that on my YouTube channel as well. It's an early podcast episode, but Kevin Parker, where can people find you? Well, if you look at the back of my banner, uh, you can see my number and name, but you can email me at Kevin at truewarriorsuccess.com. Or you can go to my website, truewarriorsuccess.com. And I'm actually launching next week a recovery coaching program product for people, uh, a product that has video modules that you can own forever to help you with absolutely any addiction that you're going through. That's going to be launching next week or maybe in about a week and a half. So I'm really, really excited about that. But you can reach me on my website. You can email me. And I'm more than happy to talk to you and help you in any way that I can. Yeah, guys, Kevin knows what he's doing. If you're struggling with this in any way, do not hesitate to check out his book, his website, get in touch with him directly. I can vouch for him as knowing him for many years now. Um, I can vouch for this process being so critical to anyone, even if you're like, if you're asking the question, is this an addiction? Just reach out. We don't have to put a label on it, but if you're even asking yourself or thinking there might possibly, oh, this thing, I don't know if it is, it is, and that's okay, and it's normal, and, and reach out and get help. I totally agree. All right, Kevin. Well, let's play the outro. Hang tight, and thanks again for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcast app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.